Hello and welcome to the Rob Burgess Show. I'm of course your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 80th episode, our returning guest is Sarah Kensinger. You first heard Sarah Kensinger on episode 70 of the podcast. Here's her biography. I am a writer. I am best known for my critical take on the prestige economy, my reporting on St. Louis, my coverage of the 2016 election, and my academic research on authoritarian states in Central Asia. My best-selling essay collection, The View from Flyover Country, was published in 2015. I am currently an op-ed columnist for the Globe and Mail, where I focus on U.S. politics. I also am the U.S. correspondent for the Dutch news outlet De Correspondent. Previously, I was an op-ed columnist for Al Jazeera English, where I wrote about exploitation, particularly in higher education, the diminishing opportunities of America's youth, and gentrification. I have also covered internet privacy, political repression, and how the media shape public perception. My April 2013 article, The Wrong Kind of Caucasian, is the most popular AJE op-ed of all time. I have also written for Politico, The Chronicle of Higher Education, The Guardian, Foreign Policy, Quartz, Slate, The Atlantic, Medium, Radio Free Europe, Opinio Juris, Alternet, HRD CVR, Politico Europe, The Chicago Tribune, The Baffler, Blue Nation Review, Alive Magazine, Ethnography Matters, Registan.net, The Common Reader, The New York Daily News, La Stampa, World Policy Journal, The Brooklyn Quarterly, The Diplomat, Marie Claire, Center for International Governance Innovation, Teen Vogue, City AM, World Politics Review, and The New York Times. In August 2013, Foreign Policy named me one of the 100 people you should be following on Twitter to make sense of global events. In October 2013, St. Louis Magazine profiled me as one of 15 inspirational people under 35 in St. Louis. In September 2014, the Riverfront Times named me the best online journalist in St. Louis. In June 2017, St. Louis Magazine named me the best journalist in St. Louis. In addition to working as a journalist, I am a researcher and consultant. I have a Ph.D. in anthropology from Washington University in St. Louis and an M.A. in Central Eurasian Studies from Indiana University. Most of my work focuses on the authoritarian states of the former Soviet Union and how the Internet affects political mobilization, self-expression, and trust. My research has been published in American Ethnologist, Problems of Post-Communism, Central Asian Survey, Democratizatia, Nationales Papers, Social Analysis, and the Journal of Communication. I am a program associate for the Central Asian Program at the Elliott School of International Affairs at George Washington University and a research associate at the Russian, East European, and Eurasian Center at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. I am frequently interviewed by the media and have been a guest on NPR, MSNBC, Al Jazeera, CBC News, BBC World Service, and other broadcast outlets, and am a recurring guest on the MSNBC show, AM Joy. I have given talks all over the world as an invited speaker at academic conferences and forums on foreign policy, politics, education, and technology. I occasionally serve as an expert witness in asylum cases involving applicants from Uzbekistan and Kyrgyzstan. And now on to the show. Hello. Sarah? 
Yes. Hey, it's Rob. Hey, how are you? Oh, good, good. I uh, accidentally dialed the wrong number and talked to some guy named Jason, and I thought the Russians were messing with us again here. So mm-hmm. <laughs> always the Russians. I'm gonna I'm gonna blame them instead of me misdialing. But um, <laughs> yeah, so thanks so much for coming back on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Oh yeah, no problem. Yeah. So uh, I guess once again, uh, I kind of wanted to start with what's going on with your uh, going in your city of St. Louis. There, um, have you been to any of these protests? that have been happening and you know what have you seen on the ground um well for most of the time that they've been happening i was out of the country Mm. um i was in hungary for a week and then uh got back um late last week so you know by then uh you know a lot of the protests had ended um but they're still ongoing um you know a lot of my friends have been going it's uh you know i mean it's very difficult for people like I, i think one thing people are missing is you know of course we've been through this before with ferguson um and that was you know not only a horrific experience in the event itself um you know the murder of mike brown and the gassing of protesters afterwards um but also you know the lack of reforms and the lack of accountability that followed and it left people that stayed in st louis a lot of the protesters actually left you know the real sense of basically ptsd and so we knew this verdict was coming uh we basically knew what it was going to be because it's the St. Louis and, you know, uh, justice rarely comes. Um, but it's still very hard emotionally for people to process. And I've been glad to see people standing up. Um, it's a different sort of crowd than I think it was the first time around uh, in Ferguson. Uh, people had a long time to plan uh, protests. But the police behavior, honestly, is worse. Uh, it's more aggressive. It's using a lot of the same tactics, um, you know, using military weaponry uh, to gas, but also in terms of rhetoric, um, you know, they're yelling things like, you know, whose streets are streets, which is meant to mock and mimic uh, the protesters' cry. But, you know, that's a really frightening sentiment uh, for, you know, in a law enforcement body that's supposed to protect and serve um, and is basically explicitly saying, we will dominate you, uh, we will oppress you, we are not here for you, uh, you know, you are just here to, to obey us and you should feel afraid, you know, in your own city. Um, and so that's been you know, a horrifying thing to see. Yeah, and obviously we can't, you know, mention that without saying how it, you know, relates back to the current administration and what they've done and said. Um, you know, of course you had Trump endorsing police brutality, uh, you know, with uh, the thing about keeping their hand on their head when you're putting them into the police car. And then in a more policy-driven way, if you want to look at Jeff Sessions, uh, there was that order where they now can sell military equipment to local police departments. So we kind of got that rescinded back. I think that wasn't that first put into place after Ferguson, like because yeah, people were so yeah, disturbed. Yeah, it was in reaction to it. Um, right. And of course they reversed that. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, the DOJ under Obama did not do enough about this issue. Uh, But the DOJ under Jeff Sessions is an entirely different animal um, that isn't just sort of struggling to bring accountability uh, to police brutality, but actively encouraging it, um, as is Trump. And I think that the worst elements of the police force, uh, you know, certainly here in St. Louis, are emboldened by that. Um, And they're also emboldened by the fact that they got away with Ferguson, and that white officers all across the country since Ferguson um, have gotten away 
today, you know, with murder, uh, you know, it's in the Freddie Gray case and, you know, Philando um, Castile and lots of other cases, like, they know there's not going to be anything that happens to them. They know they can act whatever way they choose. Um, and that's, you know, that's a serious problem. Uh, and I think it's just going to get worse if this administration uh, remains in place. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and then you have the Supreme Court decision. I don't remember which one, but it just said that basically whenever an officer feels uh, threatened, just feels threatened, they can just, you know, empty the clip or whatever. And it's like, you know, that I don't know how we get unless we change something like that. I don't know. It's, it seems like that's a pretty big obstacle to get past. Yeah, so. especially because they view, you know, black men, especially tall or large black men, as inherently threatening, mm-hmm. you know, including kids and teenagers, you mm-hmm. know, people like Tamir Rice and Trayvon mm-hmm. Martin. Um, you know, recently during the protest in St. Louis, uh, a 13-year-old boy uh, was choked by police officers who then went after his grandmother. I mean, their level of who they think of as a threat is so wide um, that almost always comes down to targeting, you know, black citizens, including obviously vulnerable citizens, elderly people, kids, um, but but they just don't care. The mm-hmm. fact that they're black in their eyes and that they're speaking out against the police um, is enough, you know, for them to try to justify violent action. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I guess we can't talk about with people, you know, black people having their freedom of speech without talking about what happened yesterday in the NFL. Um, I read your piece about the flag, and I thought that was really uh, powerful. Now, I, I, you know, this does seem like he's trying to distract from something, like he's, he's igniting these culture war battles just as things are, are heating up for him. But then again, we don't want to, like, marginalize people's actual concerns by saying, oh, you're just a distraction from from that. Right. But you know what I mean? Like, he is kind of, like, throwing fuel on that at a very, you know, hmm, like, why is he doing that now? You know what I mean? Right. I mean, yeah, it, it's what you said. I mean, in Trump's mind, um, I think he thinks this is a distraction. The stuff that Trump genuinely wants people to be distracted from are things that can have legal ramifications for Trump and his family, which in this mm-hmm. case would mean the Russian interference investigation or other investigations into financial corruption, because that's where he's most likely to be taken down. Um, I think he also probably doesn't want too much scrutiny about you know his inaction in Puerto Rico, for example, um, due to you know Bush and Katrina and that legacy, although I'm not quite sure he really uh, cares as much as previous uh, administrations did. But, you know, this is not um, a distraction because this, this issue matters. I mean, the issue of police brutality, of racism, they matter. Um, and it's also part of Trump's essential ideology. You know, he's a white supremacist. He's somebody who has excused the actions of neo-Nazis. Um, I think Charlottesville has proven to be a turning point because you're seeing, you know, in the aftermath of um, NFL players and other athletes, you know, taking the knee or just generally protesting, um, you're seeing Trump try to cater to what he thinks of as his base, um, you know, by uh, by condemning these athletes and by praising, you know, NASCAR, for example. So you're seeing kind of unexpected people show support for Colin Kaepernick and, and others, you know, uh, Jesse Ventura, Dale uh, Earnhardt Jr., you know, they're saying no, like, I'm not with Trump, yeah. I'm with 
veterans. I'm, uh-huh. you know, with athletes. I'm with people who are against brutality. I'm with people who, you know, want to express, uh, you know, their view of patriotism or their attitude towards uh, the national anthem or the flag any way that they want because we're a country that has freedom of expression. So this is something where I think for Trump, I, I, I think the distraction is backfiring because mm-hmm. he's not getting the support uh, that he thought he would get. And he's getting a ton of people saying, like, you know, one God's name are you doing when 3.5 million people have no food or water or electricity in Puerto Rico? I mean, mm-hmm. I think the country is really realizing that this is a massive crisis. This is a crisis that's going to go on for, you know, at least the next year or so. Um, and, and the government needs to intervene. And here he is tweeting about, you know, the NFL and other athletes you know, something like 10 out of his last 12 tweets were about that. So he comes off as heartless, and also, you know, he's miscalculating, mm-hmm. which is good to see. I think it's good to see people, you know, standing up for what's right, but it's still alarming to see a president who's, you know, so heartless and obviously un- unqualified to run the country. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I keep wondering in the back of my mind, I'm like, this guy is so needy, and he just wants, like, attention and love from anywhere he can get it. Why doesn't he just do something actually popular that people would like him for? But then I think, you know, he actually doesn't want to be popular with everybody. He just wants that small sliver that will always stick by him to be always agitated, always fired up. And that's really the only popularity that he's concerned about attaining. You know, it's like yeah, as long as he keeps that fire stoked, that's all he cares about. It, yeah, I mean, it's not its not every popularity he craves. It's undying loyalty. And mm. so he needs to be, you know, as nasty and as horrible as he can and know that people are going to support him just no matter what, because he's Donald Trump, because they, you know, blindly adhere to him. That's kind of how he's always operated. He's mm-hmm. never toned it down or tried to, you know, placate um, an audience, you know, which gives this illusion to some of like, oh, he's a straight talker. It's like, no, he's actually just a completely narcissistic and, you know, manipulative person who seems to really crave this, like, how far can I take it without losing, you know, the, the support of other people? Um, and that's, I think, what he's, he did his whole campaign uh, and he's continuing to do as the president. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And then I, I, one thing I don't want to get lost in this is, is as we're disturbed about him having these spasms or whatever I think it's it's important to note that he's focusing on private businesses and telling them who they should and shouldn't employ and for what reasons you know if you mm-hmm. want to look at Jamel Hill at ESPN you know uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders saying uh, you know the uh you know, she should be fired for calling him a white supremacist. You know, like that's, you know, that's a private business. That's a private entity. He's talking about NFL players should be fired for taking a knee. That's a private business. That's not a government thing. And, and all this makes me think of, and I'm, I don't know if you've ever seen these videos before of Putin, you know, with these uh, Russian business leaders kind of strong arming them in public and, you know, getting, making them bend to his will. And it's just like, it's just straight out of the playbook. You know, this is, this is, yeah, yeah. So. very much so. Um, you know, and it's, it's the kind of thing, uh, you know, you see in dictatorships all over the world regarding athletes and pop stars. You know, there's a famous case in Uzbekistan where the government targeted 
um, a sportscaster, you know, of all people who happen to be mixing his sportscasting with some political sentiment, even political poetry, and they put that guy in jail. And, you know, it's this idea that if you're some kind of public figure, there can't be uh, any space between you and the state, that any kind of, you know, independent thought you have is disloyal, that it somehow represents a criticism of the administration or of the president. And, you know, it's amazing to me that Trump has managed to kind of incorporate this into his worldview as if he hasn't spent 70 years in America where, you know, for all our flaws, uh, we generally have been able to, you know, criticize our, our representatives, you know, with the majority of us not facing, you know, intense repercussions, but he acts as if that's not the case. And of course, it is like uh, Putin, although Putin tends to, you know, mostly, I mean, he also cultivates, you know, or, or tries to get pop stars and, and models and mm. others to, you know, sing his praises and whatnot, but he has, you know, a very close relationship with kind of a, a circle of oligarchs, um, you know, who he met with actually this week, um, you know, who kind of mix the, they, they blur the lines between private business, state business, and uh, criminal operations. And I think Trump finds that familiar as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And if you want to talk about oligarchs, we got our own set of oligarchs right now uh, using the government for everything it's worth with, you know, Steve Mnuchin uh, taking private jets uh, to watch the eclipse and wanting to use it for its honeymoon and Tom Price mm -hmm. with, what does he have, an 18-person security detail and he's got, like, private jets. And these are people that can afford this. They don't have to do oh, this. Yeah. Like they don't And need, Trump with yeah. the Secret Service, how he oh, managed yeah. to bankrupt them uh -huh. going golfing. I mean, yeah, it, it's grotesque. Um, you know, and it was predictable. I mean, that was basically the first thing I said after he was elected, that, you know, these people seem to accept that this would happen, that this would be a kleptocratic government, that they would abuse executive privileges to enhance personal wealth. And one way to do that is to, you know, cut their own expenses, um, you know, by using tax-funded security security uh, officials. And, you know, it's just, it's especially grotesque to see this um, in the aftermath of all of these hurricanes and wildfires uh, that have devastated so many communities, where you see people just clamoring uh, to get basic, you know, shelter, medicine, uh, transportation, all these things. And, you know, they're, they're using that money on, you know, luxury things for themselves. And mm -hmm. it's gross. Um, it's mm -hmm. the kind of thing, you know, I, I hope people continue to protest. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned you'd been overseas. Uh, where did you go, and what were you, what were you doing there? I was in Hungary uh, for a little over a week for a conference about authoritarianism and sustainability. Um, it was just like 50 or so people who study different aspects of this, like some climate scientists, some experts on oil and nukes. So, obviously, a very uplifting yeah. and uh, positive conference. <laughs> Love to go to that cocktail party. That sounds like a, a blast. <laughs> well, it was amazing, because like, I'm used to being like the most depressing person in any given room, you know, because I study authoritarianism, but at least that's kind of like a man-made disaster. And, you know, I was sitting there listening to like the climate scientists and the people who study oil and resources, and I'm like, oh my God. You're <laughs> way more depressing than me. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, it was a nice location in Hungary and everything, but it was also sad uh, returning to Hungary. I hadn't been there, um, you know, since their new president was elected. He's also autocratic. Um, you know, I, I experienced no repercussions of that myself in Hungary, uh, you know, because of where I was um, and the company I kept. But, 
you know, I initially went there in the 90s um, after it had, you know, recently become free of communist rule. And, you know, people were very optimistic. Uh, they felt good about the future. And then you just see how quickly that changed, you know, and that's true for Poland and other, uh, you know, Central and Eastern European countries as well. And, you know, you just get sort of left with a sense of, like, the world in general, you know, not just the U.S. is moving in a, in a very negative direction. Yeah, well, I, I did want to ask you about that because we did also just have the um, German election. Uh, yesterday, right. and then you know, of course, Angela Merkel, uh, you know, de facto leader of the free world. Thank goodness, won re-election. But you know, but 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 the you know, for the first time since you know what, we've had a far right party, you know, joining the parliament in Germany, which is not a good sign. And then you know, right. if you look at uh, was it Austria, Austria that where they had uh, the literal like descendant of the neo yeah, Yorkshire. Uh, you know, yeah, his freedom party's heir. Yeah, won right. Well. Yeah, they, they didn't win, but they almost did, and they got in like the forties, right? Forty percent, something like that. Mm-hmm. Like it, it was close. It was too close, you know. So, and yeah. we saw, you know, Macron win, but then again, you know, Le Pen got more than they'd ever gotten before, and you know, you got all these, you know, the, it seems like it, it, the dam is holding a little bit, but at the same time, it's like there's, it's not, it's not over, and it's, it's getting worse in some ways. So, yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, I've been to, I think, 11 countries since the election and, you know, talked to people from different parts of the world and noticed this, um, you know, I was just in Germany uh, in July. And, you know, I was feeling a little more optimistic about it just because I kept hearing from citizens that, you know, unlike in the U.S., um, you know, they are trained to identify propaganda, to identify hate speech. Um, They have, you know, sharper restrictions and stuff like, you know, uh, social media. You know, people are aware of the threat. And that was true in France as well. It's why stuff like Russian interference didn't go as well in those countries. But that doesn't prevent the existence of an actual nativist, right-wing extremist movement uh, forming on its own. And, you know, as we, we both just noted, uh, you know, that's always been there. Those movements have been on the fringes, um, you know, since the 80s and 90s. And, you know, often the people leading them now are you know, the sons and daughters of, of those who led them back then. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a huge problem. And I think the ability of them to, to talk across uh, geographical boundaries, you know, particularly to unite on the Internet um, and exchange ideas and promote each other, you know, is very dangerous. It's the dark side of what everybody thought this liberating capacity of the Internet would be, where, you know, different people fighting for freedom and for human rights would be able to, you know, get together and help each other. Um, you know, what we've seen is that the opponents of those things are, you know, maybe more savvy at it, um, you know, than those who who seek justice. So, you know, I expect that to continue. Um, And while I don't place, you know, the economy is certainly not the sole factor, um, and I'm not even sure it's the leading factor, I do think that economic devastation is a factor. You know, I think it's significant that East Germany uh, seems to be where more of the support is coming from, you know, which has always been less prosperous and prosperous uh, than West Germany, and, Mm -hmm. you know, that's uh, true to some extent in the United States. Um, Mm -hmm. But I tend to think a lot of it has to do with, you know, xenophobia, um, racism with, you know, attitudes uh, Mm -hmm. like that more, you know, social attitudes. Right. I mean, my hopeful take on it is that, you know, uh, you know, Trump is so terrible and he's such a terrible example for everyone else in the world that maybe the only reason it's not worse is because they have this example of look what happens when you put one of these people in charge. But then, you know, at the same time, those people are emboldened because, hey, at least you know, he it worked. He got into office and Brexit happened and, you know, these, these things, they do gain ground. So it, it's kind of a double-edged sword, it seems like. So. Yeah, I mean, I definitely encounter a lot of people who saw 
um, you know, what happened to us with Trump, mm-hmm. and we're like, hell no. Um, and they also, you know, the other good part of that is that people that thought all this was impossible, this kind of, you know, going backwards towards, you know, fascist um, types of movements uh, was unlikely. They all realized that it can really happen and that it is, you know, as bad as people say. And, mm-hmm. you know, I saw this in the Netherlands. There's a lot of apprehension there um, about Garrett Wilders. And, you know, he mm-hmm. didn't win, I think, in part because they saw Brexit. They saw the U.S. and they were just like, uh-uh, you know, forget it. And I yeah. think that's true of France as well. Um, but, yeah, I, unfortunately, you know, that's that's not the end of it seeing the disastrous result um, doesn't nip it in the bud. And, mm-hmm. you know, another thing I worry about for all countries, but especially ours, is, you know, voter suppression, um, you know, put forth through, you know, legal justifications, uh, you know, ones that are immoral. I think like this fraud commission they're cooking up, but also interference and hacking. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we don't have great cybersecurity in that still. I don't yeah. think Trump wants us to. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so that, um, you know, is a real problem for all countries going forward is how to deal with you know, technology oh, and yeah. types of movements. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I did want to talk about that because we've had a lot of revelations, you know, about Twitter and especially Facebook. Um, have you have you seen that? I'm sure you have, but the Hamilton 68 project uh, where they oh, track yeah, what yeah. all the bots are. Yeah, it was amazing to see how uh, interested the Russian bots were in this take a knee thing. It's like, wow, got a lot of Russian NFL fans over there. But no, that, that they don't care about the NFL. <laughs> they just care about you know sowing discord. You know, whatever the whatever motives they have. Uh, you know, they, they are external. Um, these companies, I mean, if you can talk a little bit about what your take on all these revelations are, because I feel like, you know, I, I, I'm half remembering a statement that Mark Zuckerberg made right after the election, kind of poo-pooing the idea of, oh, well, it's ridiculous to think we had anything to do with it, but now it's like kind of a 180 on that. It's like, well, we've been taken over. We don't know how to stop it. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's extremely frustrating um, for me to hear that. And I think it's frustrating for everyone to hear that who's been on these networks, especially Twitter, you know, for the last five years and has seen um, how they changed, you know, especially starting around 2014 with Gamergate, um, you know, where you started to see a lot of very coordinated uh, mob attacks, usually directed at women or non-white men, um, that no one did anything to stop, you know, things that were just very blatant, like I'm coming to your house and I'm going to kill you and then posting your address, you know, things that, you know, women had to go into hiding. I had to go into hiding at one point. Um, and, and they did nothing to stop it. And so the idea that somehow Twitter and Facebook were unaware that their networks were used, you know, for malicious or, you know, violent purposes by outside actors coordinating is just ridiculous. You know, this has been an ongoing struggle. And of course, uh, political groups and governments are going to get involved in this. Like everyone, you know, I taught classes um, at Washington University back in 2011, 2012, about how Russia was manipulating the internet, about the types Mm -hmm. of campaigns that Putin did, about, you know, what I called at the time um, networked authoritarianism. You know, that's not my term. I I think it's Rebecca McKinnon. She's a social scientist. But basically, it's a way that an authoritarian government purposely leaves social networks open so that actors from the government, um, you know, or people supporting their repressive policies can just intervene instead of, you know, using censorship, which is the more traditional approach. Mm -hmm. And so that's been documented. You know, people have been really studying this for a long time. And, you know, I am sure uh, Facebook and, and Twitter and Google also are aware. You know, I've been to some of their conferences and their meetups where they discuss this. And so for them to pretend that they're so naive and that this is a revelation in any way uh, is just lying. They're just trying to get out of trouble. 
Um, but I'm not sure legally uh, what the consequences are. I'm not sure we really have a legal, um, you know, set of standards by which to judge them, whether this is some sort of criminal offense or just something that is obviously very uh, unwise and negligent on their part. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And one of the more disturbing ones, I mean, there's so many disturbing parts to the story, but uh, did you see the thing about how the Russian trolls set up these, like, fake Facebook pages and, like, made these meetups where people actually actually went in in reality like this is in, in america people like were uh they created these like meetups from russia and they like had people show up to these rallies that were just created online and it's like oh people are like, oh no russian told me how to vote or whatever and it's like yeah but you might have gone to something where you know russian told you to go yeah. or like you know that that's a real thing like that's a real thing that happened and you know the the targeting of ads now that we're finding out you can i, I think there was a pro publica reporter that put in like Jew hater or something as like a targeted oh people that have Jew hater in their profile would love to see this ad and then Facebook's right. like yep I'll take the money for that I give it to me so right like, yeah know. no I mean and, and again not, it's surprising to me that people think this is new and it might just be like the circles I hang out in include a lot of people who specifically mm -hmm. research this kind of thing mm -hmm. like there's a journalist um, Casey Michelle who studies you know basically Russian and authoritarian you know um, fringe movements and their intervention into electoral politics and so he's been showing me for months this fake Texas separatist yeah, page that I've was obviously that. Mm -hmm. yeah obviously made by, by <laughs> Russians or certainly and the English by isn't too good either it's like obviously they're like third language or whatever it's like i, I, love, texas I love texas independence <laughs> you know, yeah, it was really funny you know like the the typos are funny and it was just such an egregious example of a you know non-american created mm -hmm. page and even people in the comments on that page would sometimes suspect it and mm -hmm. you know i've been looking at that with you know he's been showing me that for like over a year and i've been looking at you know my own sort of like facebook groups and, and twitter groups that i suspected were not organic you know there have been multiple times where there are tons of bots with like absolutely identical messages you know shooting things at me often they weren't supporting trump they're supporting either jill stein or bernie sanders mm -hmm. um you know and i screenshotted them and then went back a year later and looked to see what they were doing now and you know some of them are pro-trump and mm -hmm. some are writing really weird stuff about russia and you know this was so obvious that there were different um, kind of botnet operations going on. Um, and so it's weird to me that everyone's just like, you know, wow, who could have thought it? It's like, well, we all did because we were like there at the time saying, you know, this is not a human being talking to me. This is clearly some weird either propaganda operation or like a literal robot that, you know, is right. uh, printing the same thing over and over. I mean, you can, you know, obviously tell that's not the action of a human. Um, so, yeah, they should have been tackling this earlier. I mean, they honestly should have been tackling it, you know, when it really started to, to peak around 2013, 2014. But certainly over the course of 2016, you know, lots of people should have been uh, speaking up. You know, unfortunately, those who did were often mocked or accused of, like, you know, oh, you think all criticism of Hillary Clinton is done by robots or something. It's like, no, you know, just these specific examples are so egregious, like, mm -hmm. people should be looking. And they didn't. They, uh, a lot of people dropped the ball, and now we pay the price. So. Absolutely. And, you know, they don't have, 
like you kind of pointed out, there's no like fixed ideology. It really just seems to be whatever is going to be the most divisive. You know, I remember when they were talking about, you know, the Scottish independence was uh, on the rise. You know, that idea again was after Brexit and stuff. And then, you know, apparently the Russian trolls were all over that. And it's just because it's another way to get in between, you know, uh, a sovereign nation and its people and, and, and create a division where they can. And they don't, that's really the unifying ideology, it seems like. It's the only consistent one I can find. Right, yeah, they just vacillate back and forth. Um, you know, and it's important to point out they're, generally speaking, are exploiting uh, risks that are already there. Yeah, exactly. You know, they're, they're capitalizing on problems that we already have, and at this point in time we have a lot of problems. Although occasionally you see things that are just utter inventions, you know, like the Pizzagate um, oh, thing was sure. just like a, a total lie that got propagated to the point that there's almost a murder. Um, you know, and that's obviously very dangerous as well, but yeah, it's a, it's a huge problem. I'm not quite sure how they're going to fix it, mm-hmm. uh, given that we have an administration that needs this kind of propaganda to survive, but also there's a lot of, you know, freedom of speech issues, you know, individual rights expression, you know, all sorts of things that we just don't have um, the legal or the political language yet, mm-hmm. I think, to describe what we're seeing. Well, yeah, and I, I think that the main problem with these, uh, especially like Facebook and things, is that they don't want to see be seen as any kind of serving any editorial function. They just want to be seen as a platform. They don't want to be seen having any, uh, you know, hand in what, you know, goes on their site and doesn't. And I'm thinking back to when they had that, you know, scandal or whatever about the conservative news being, you know, uh, voted down by the Facebook editors. And then they're like, well, we're not going to have human editors anymore. We're just going to have, you know, whatever's trending. And then like five, like conspiracy theories, like trended immediately after that. And it's like, (laughs) well, maybe we do need a person like toggling the switches or something because this is obviously yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so. because these algorithms are you know created by people and then they also you know they mimic uh public expression mm-hmm. um and they're you know you one can manipulate them you see that with google uh where google search results for a long time were white supremacist preferences if mm-hmm. you google you know anything about black people or jewish people you get these really awful results and um you know and again like this is it's frustrating because there has been so much written about this and predicted that this is the way it would go, like um, Jaron Lanier's work or uh, Zainab Tufedji, like they've all written extensively about how these companies need to have accountability, about how, you know, this is not a neutral platform and technology is, is definitely not neutral. Mm-hmm. It's also interesting to me that there's so many, you know, underemployed or unemployed academics and social scientists and computer um, technologists who have the background and expertise to maybe make a contribution, you know, to solving these issues, and they're not being utilized. You know, these companies have very, very small staff, like Twitter and Facebook are these gigantic monopolies that hire very few people. It seems like you could kind of, you know, incorporate a human element, solve an employment problem, and do a lot of things to make it better, but Mm -hmm. I don't think that's what they want, because the more oversight they have, uh, I think the less money they potentially will make. Right, well, yeah. uh, (laughs) Absolutely. Well, and then, you know, if you want to go to another issue around this kind of hacking and and cybersecurity, we have, you know, the, what was the 21 states that they announced the voting machines had been, uh, you know, uh, hacked or attempted to be hacked, and they're not, they're saying many weren't hacked, which is not a very reassuring thing to say, and then they don't tell us which ones, uh, because of some privacy concerns all of a sudden, and it's like, what? What is going on? 
going on with that? <laughs> and that's the thing that's very frustrating because, again, this is something that we knew about all the way back yeah. in November. You know, like I was part of a group of people who put a hashtag called Audit the Vote because we wanted to vote on it. And it was, mm. you know, us and political scientists and, and computer experts. And we just wanted to, you know, have things just checked, you know, not saying like nullify it all, but just, you know, were we compromised? Because it looked from the margins and from, you know, various reports of what had happened at polling stations, like there may have been some problems. Um, and they, you know, refused to even acknowledge that this is a possibility. Then we hear that, you know, 21 states are affected. Then later we hear that it was 39. That's what Bloomberg News reported. And now it's back to 21. And again, you know, the states voluntarily came forward and said, you know, yes, uh, you know, they tried to hack our infrastructure. And it's always that they didn't succeed. I'm not quite sure I believe that because we've been lied to uh, so frequently about this. And it seems to me unlikely that if they made, if Russia made such a concerted effort to target all these states that, you know, nothing succeeded, like not one district, not, you know, one area. And I think the reason they don't even want to, you know, put that possibility forward is because it doesn't just negate, you know, the legitimacy of the president. It's the whole election. Mm -hmm. You know, it'd be like whoever won in that district or, mm -hmm. you know, the uh, number of Republicans and Democrats in the House and Senate. You know, all those things could potentially be affected, and that would be a very uh, chaotic situation. Yeah. But I tend to think that, you know, that may be what have happened, and that's perhaps why they're not being as straightforward um, as they could be. Right. Well, we already know that, you know, at least from the leaked documents from Reality Winter back a couple months ago, we remember that, you know, leak. And, yeah. you know, that definitely revealed that they knew more than they were saying, you know, to the public about this. Um, and it's extra disturbing, which you kind of alluded to with uh, the Republicans. You know, they're all too happy to suppress the vote. They're all too happy to, you know, here in Indiana, um, I know this has been a problem because this is basically systematic in Indiana that red counties have, you know, extremely good, you know, the rural areas have extremely good, uh, you know, I, I work in, in a rural county and, and the early voting is just, you know, you can do it, you know, for a week or two before the election. It's, you know, all day you can go in. In Indianapolis, Marion County, the biggest, you know, county in, in the state, uh, one early voting place. And I remember this from the election. People were upset about this. And it's like you're artificially squeezing this and making it harder for people you know that won't vote for you to vote and it's just like you're, you're working hand in hand with these people who are trying to subvert you know the very democracy that we all depend on so. right yeah and they have no intention of changing that like we have so many issues um, that are skewing the vote in the Republican direction you know from mm -hmm. gerrymandering to the VRA partial repeal to ID laws to interference to um, you know suppression tactics at the actual voting booths I mean it's a mess and you know it was annoying to me to hear in the aftermath of the election, uh, you know, we need to respect the integrity of the voting process no matter what. Because I'm like, no, you know, we need to respect the integrity if we can trust it, if we have reason to trust it. And, you know, even putting Russian interference aside, there are reasons to think, you know, we have serious systemic flaws in our system, you know, in terms of uh, suppressing minority votes through ID laws, for example, you know, or, or what, you know, you just mentioned. And so, 
you know, I, I don't like hearing this argument um, of just we're supposed to have blind faith in things because that seems to hurt us more than anything. You know, blind faith that things will turn out well, blind faith that things are, are you know, being done properly. Like, we need accountability and transparency, and then I think we'll have actual trust, and that would be beneficial, but right. we're a ways off from that. I almost feel like we just need to go back to the paper ballots, and I know some areas have, have moved into that. Do you? How do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I think that that's a good idea. Um, I think it doesn't, you know, change everything, obviously, because we have problems mm-hmm. with, you know, our laws and voter suppression laws and, sure. you know, things that Trump is devising, like this voter fraud commission, um, yeah. things that turn people away from the polls, uh, you know, make their names disappear from databases. Like, there's, there are all these things, but I certainly think paper ballots are a better mechanism than electronic stuff, which, you know, seems very vulnerable uh, to, you know, hacking or to other types of interference. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, we don't even need to, like you mentioned, we don't even need to hack the machines if, if you just don't let people get to the play. You know what I mean? If you just stop yeah. people from even getting in the door, you don't even have to, you know, <laughs> you have to stop them. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, re- you know, changing gears a little bit, we did talk about the travel ban last time. And, you know, this is kind of, yesterday there was a travel ban, what is this now, Three point oh uh it almost seems like to me uh it seems like they're just trying to this is a diversion you know what i mean like this is a way for them to not have people call it a travel ban and they're like well north korea and venezuela are on there what do you call it a muslim ban now and it's like you know, it's still the same you know the same old junkery they've just put a new coat of paint on it or whatever you know what i mean it's it's no different than it was before but what what is your take yeah. on it? well at first that's what i was thinking that this was you know random and of course the fact that they added Chad, of why Chad is even on there. But in terms of adding um, North Korea and Venezuela, you know, what we're left with is essentially a list of countries that the Trump administration has threatened to go to war with. Mm. Um, and, you know, and, and in some cases, like in Syria or in Yemen, you know, we are actively striking them. And, you know, and I've been very concerned um, from the beginning about what Trump would do in terms of military action. And we've already seen him use, you know, an MOAB in Afghanistan and, of course, you know, constantly threaten uh, North Korea with nuclear war, uh, which is something we really hadn't had to take, uh, you know, to think about constantly until this administration. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, one thing I suspect they may be doing is trying to demonize uh, the citizens who live in, you know, these very repressive regimes so that they're dehumanized, uh, so that people think of them as, like, these are people who want to harm us, like, not just the North Korean government, but North North Korea and citizens want to harm us. Venezuelan citizens want to harm us. Syrian citizens want to harm us. We have to keep them out. And so if, say, for example, Trump drops a, you know, targeted nuke on these citizens, people won't be as upset. They'll say, oh, they were going to hurt us anyway. It was defensive. That's what I think might be uh, the strategy here, uh, which is very disturbing. Okay. But, um, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's it's just, yeah, I, I was saving this for the end because uh, this just disturbed me so much. I did a podcast with my friend Sean, his, his, his name is actually Sean Spicer, and he's actually uh, second cousins with the oh, real Sean no. Spicer, frankly. Oh, he's, no. He's had, a, he's oh, had quite a time <laughs> this last few months, as you can imagine. <laughs> he calls uh, the other Sean Spicer Alt Spice. But, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, poor guy. <laughs> yeah, I know. But he, uh, he asked me, like, we did a podcast, like, the day before the inauguration. He's like, what are you afraid of? What's your biggest fear? And I'm like, nuclear war. Nuclear war is my biggest yeah. fear with this guy because, I mean, I know you've, you've written about this before, but, like, look at his record of statements going back 
30 years of his opinions of nuclear war. What does he think of it? He wants to do it. He wants to do it so bad. Like he, It's like something he's just dying to do. He's been thinking about it and talking about it. Uh, did, he had some weird statement in a press conference early in his presidency where he was like, the power is very important to me. And it's like, <laughs> what's yeah. going on? So, yeah, anyway, I don't know if that's a question, but what do you think about all that? <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's becoming more and more likely. Like To me, it looks like he can't control his anticipation. Um, and I think he also loves that he's the sole person who can do this. Like mm. this is an action where he doesn't need congressional approval. Um, where just at his whim, he can drop a nuclear bomb on somebody and we all know it. And everybody is afraid. Everybody is worried. And I am worried that, um, you know, as he increasingly gets cornered, uh, on issues like Russian interference or just mm. the general lack of popularity, um, and possibly legitimacy of his administration, that this is, how he will lash out, um, you know, a combination of just wanting to show might and power, um, you know, to, quote, distract, I guess, or just basically change the course of world history away from his uh, investigations, but mm-hmm. also because he's sadistic. Uh, he likes it. He's obsessed with, with nuclear power. He has been, you know, for over 30 years, and mm-hmm. I can't imagine him restraining himself. That's just, that's not his way, mm-hmm. and so every day I wake up, you know, and I, like, drink some coffee, and then I'm like, is Guam still there? You know what I mean? And like, that's not really how I want to live life. So no. I'm looking forward to him uh, departing, you know, should that be the case. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We'll no, and, and he just seems to, like, lash out more and more like this the more he gets cornered. Um, and, you know, I've with the Russia investigation, I've just gone so, I've gone every direction with it, you know, just feeling good and bad and despondent and hopeful. And, you know, uh, one day I'm, I'm despondent because he's pardoned Joe Arpaio, and then the next day I'm, I'm hopeful again because, you know, Mueller's enlisted uh, Schneiderman and he can't pardon state crimes. And, you know, I'm like, you know, I, they're getting close, right? They're, they're going to indict somebody. But it's like, come on, guys, hurry up. We, we don't have much time. You know, <laughs> get <this> Yes, guy. <laughs> yes. It, so. It's very frustrating because I don't think we have that much time. Um, and I'm not confident we have enough. And, you know, there are a lot of people on Twitter who just, you know, they flat out lie and they say, you know, indictments are around the bend. Like you can find tweets just saying that as a statement of fact, going back to like March or April, clearly there have been no indictments. Um, you know, I do think it's likely that especially somebody like Manafort and Flynn, uh, you know, whose crimes are quite clear, uh, will be indicted, but that doesn't remove the people who are the greatest threat from positions of power, you know, mainly Trump, um, you know, Sessions and others, you know, even Bannon, who has left, um, you know, is in this position at Breitbart where he's allegedly still advising Trump, mm-hmm. not officially as a member of the administration. Mm-hmm. And he has, you know, in, in many ways more, you know, free reign to do what he wants and to influence, you know, propaganda and influence ideology from the sidelines. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, all of this is uh, is concerning. But, oh, yeah. Um, I'm not sure, you know, what exactly will happen with the Russia interference things. You know, I, I keep wondering who is going to prosecute, you know, what kind of deals are going to be struck. And mm-hmm. I'm not com- that confident that, you know, everyone's going to just go to jail, which seems to be uh, the expectation a lot of people are, are putting forth. Mm. Yeah. Hopefully they are. But, yeah. you know, but I'm not sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, as far as legislatively, you know, Paul Ryan, you know, is a, is a man who is not, he's not up for, you know, the job. He's just not up for the job of being, you know, the person that's supposed to check the president. I mean, his spine is jello, and he's basically, it seems like the only thing he cares about is these tax cuts. You know, the health care mm-hmm. bill is nearly dead. It seems like, you know, I don't want to say it's over till it's over, but it's, it seems like it's getting close, you know. And they want to move on.
respond to tax cuts, and that's their laser focus. And I know that's what they want Trump for, but like I think that they've passed them. I think shortly before I, I picked up the phone, I read a headline saying that they're they are doing tax cuts on the highest bracket. So well, great. Yeah. Okay, well, never mind. <laughs> I don't know though. I'm not. I'm not 100 sure. But yeah, it's certainly something that they're moving the direction right. of. And of course, it's what Trump is talking about mm-hmm. uh, in the midst of all these disasters. He's talking about like the NFL and tax cuts, which mm-hmm. are just really not where his focus should be. But yeah, right. I mean, Ryan is not just spineless. You know, he's he's potentially implicated in this. Oh, you know, yeah. He was, uh, you know, recorded saying that uh, he believed, or in a conversation with people who believed that Trump was being paid off by uh, Putin. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard for me to believe that, you know, many of the GOP members are oblivious to everything the Trump campaign is doing when they were, you know, rooting him on, meeting with him throughout it, mm-hmm. um, you know, meeting with people like Manafort and Bannon. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's unlikely that, you know, Ryan Pence and other kind of high-profile players didn't know what was going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and hopefully that'll come out in Mueller's investigation. Yeah. But again, I don't know what level of you know uh, punishment or you know recriminations we're actually going to see when the GOP has banded together, uh, you know, in order to protect themselves. And mm-hmm. so that's the problem in its own right. You know, you need people of integrity to pursue this process, and we certainly don't have that. Yeah, I'm, I'm just so sick of people being disturbed or, oh, I'm so upset about this. And then, yeah. Okay, just keep it. Just save it. Tell me what you're going to do. Like, tell you're going to tell me what you're going to do. I don't want to hear anything about it. Oh, I'm so upset. Yeah, Rubio with his Bible verses. I'm like, you know, you can, if you're so goddamn upset and worried that you're going to hell for what you're doing, like, you can actually cast your vote in a way so that, you know, maybe Jesus will look more favorably on you. Because right now, like, you're going the wrong direction. And it's just, yeah. you know, uh, no, it's so annoying. I mean, it's been like that ever since, um, you know, like the the Access Hollywood video where they're like, I have to, you know, do this. My conscience, yeah. like, you know, Chavitt's saying, I can't look my daughter in the eye. It's like, oh, I guess you haven't looked her in the eye for like a year and a half now. I mean, that must be rough. Like, you know, they don't have, uh, they don't have integrity. They yeah. don't have convictions. Um, and I don't know what it will take for them to do that. You know, I thought Charlottesville mm-hmm. could change the mind of so many other people yeah. maybe would, would be that breaking point. Um, but, you know, they, they made strong statements at the time and then went back to supporting him. And, you know, even Lindsey Graham, who has been mm-hmm. better than the average Republican mm-hmm. in dealing with Trump, is the person authoring this terrible bill. So yeah. You're kind of like, well, who can you trust here? And exactly. you know, the answer doesn't seem to be anybody. So. Right. Well, and, and, and loyalty, it doesn't seem like it's ever rewarded, at least for in the long term, with, with Trump. I mean, you know, Paul Ryan's like so, you know, he's in, he's in the field position because of this guy. But, you know, he, the, Trump is still, you know, mad at him for not defending him after the at Access Hollywood thing, and he yeah. should have just come out stronger then because he didn't win any points with anybody. Like I'm sure, like Trump's base doesn't like him. Trump doesn't like him. You know, he could just he would have just gone all in, and he would he'd suffered the same consequences as you know he is now. You know, it's like why don't you just go all in and you know have the courage exactly. of whatever conviction. You know what I mean? You don't get any points for yeah. this. No one's going to give you a gold star. You know? No, like you you lose every time you make a deal with this guy. And like what's amazing to me is that that's been the case of Trump for like 40 years. You know, this has been publicly documented. Mm-hmm. His entire career has been bankruptcies, ripping people off, threatening people, blackmailing people, bribing people. Like, why in the world would you want to get in bed with this guy? You're just going to come out contaminated. 
And now they're not just, you know, contaminated in their reputation. They're potentially implicated into a massive international criminal investigation involving, you know, the mafia, money laundering, you know, all this stuff that, that I'm sure they uh, would rather be, you know, distant from. And so, yeah, they were, they were stupid. Um, you know, they're going to lose no matter what, like whether there's criminal repercussions or not, you know, they will always be linked to Trump and to this catastrophe, you know, in American history, uh, assuming that we live long enough for history books to be written about it. You right. know, they will always be on the wrong side of that. And, you know, I guess this is something they're going to have to, you know, consider and <laughs> think about themselves. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Okay. Well, um, <laughs> we've, had, we've talked about a lot of fun stuff, but uh, how, oh, was, yeah. how was Guns N' Roses? <laughs> oh, my God. It was, it was like the best day of my life that did not involve also giving birth. So, like, you know, number one day. Like, oh, my God. I wish I could, like, bottle the, like, joy and, you know, rapture that I felt that night and just bring it out when I need Like, I was so, so happy. I was, like, floating out of there. It was, like, beyond my expectations. They went three and a half hours. Oh, they played, like, every song I wanted them to do. Like, the actual sounds awesome. You know, I got to see Slash kind of up close. I mean, it was just so cool. Awesome. Hey, I'm going to shut up or I'm going to go on for <laughs> but they were the mostly the original lineup, or was it? Yeah, was, yeah. Was I mean, not Izzy because he hasn't been involved mm -hmm. for a really long time. But it was like you know, Axel Slash, um, Duff, Dizzy Reed. Uh, they have a new guitarist. Um, you know, is from uh, St. Louis. You know, and so that was you know, it was also interesting for to have them back in St. Louis because you know, last time they were here, there was the big riot, and mm -hmm. I was kind of expecting some commentary or some rants, but nothing. They were just very much you know, made a couple little jokes and. Mostly just stuck to playing songs, but mm -hmm. I was happy with that. I mean, it was just like a lifelong dream come true. But it also plays into this whole feeling I have of like, is this the apocalypse? Because like, you know, in terms of like things I wanted to see in my life, like <laughs> a reunited Guns N' Roses is like one of those hypothetical things that I'm like, oh my God, you know, the world must be ending that this is really <laughs> happening. And then it's like, all these disasters are happening and you know, I have to train myself like, no, 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 you know, this is not logical thinking. The fact yeah. that you had to see like Axel live doesn't mean that, you know, the rapture is at hand or something like, yeah. but still, it was so like amazing to me that that's how it's <laughs> that's, that's so funny. Yeah, no, I was I was at lunch yesterday, and I was thinking, you know, oh, should I get a beer? And I'm like, I looked at my phone, and I was like, eh, give me a beer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's, yeah, you know, so. I know. Everyone's kind of like, well, the world's ending. Like, goodbye <laughs> diet. Goodbye healthy living. <laughs> Come and enjoy these last exactly. few remaining months. <laughs> I'm just, just, just tell me when I got to stop paying rent. That's what. That's all I got. Yeah, all I yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but, right. Exactly. What are you going to do? Exactly. Well, is there anything else I didn't ask you about? Do you want to get in there before we go? No, I mean you covered the important, you know, how the GNR show go questions. So, that was that was the main really thing I wanted to get to. Know, so, so, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, have a good rest of your day, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Yeah, you too. Right, thanks. thanks a lot. Bye. Okay. Bye.
you enjoy this podcast, there are several ways to support it. I have a Patreon account, which can be found at www.patreon.com forward slash Rob Burgess Show Patreon. I hope you'll consider supporting in any amount. Also, please make sure to comment, follow, like, subscribe, share, rate, and review the podcast everywhere it's available, which includes iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Facebook, Twitter, Internet Archive, TuneIn, and RSS. It really helps. The official website for the podcast is www.therobburgessshow.com. You can find out more about me by visiting my website, www.thisburgess.com. Until next time.